a guini ushla a fubble jay, quirum falcher of Gachtena Tavalyaha and Shah, Morishinga, clown jay, vincher jay, fubble jay. May I extend a very special Ked Mila Falcha as we enter the fourth talk within our mandatum, the command of Christ series, indeed here in St. Flannan's Cathedral for Lent in 2023. I am so conscious presently of those who have made the, the journey to be here on such a, a bad, bad night for travel. Thank you, one and all. The recordings, incidentally, are distributed within our, our own diocese and beyond, but also to so many request the various recordings that we are able to get it to them as well. So it's a wonderful medium. In a very special way too, I want to acknowledge Dr. Marjorie Stokes and Reverend Stephen Foster, who continually have supported me with Mr. Ed Heffernan in, in, indeed, and our own personnel here in the Cathedral Roy and Deborah for looking after the heating and the facility of St. Flannan's Cathedral with our own personnel. Our talks are in conjunction with the Church of Ireland Mind Matters Initiative. The purpose is fourfold, to reduce stigma, to make connections, to encourage learning and new learning and support, particularly for clergy and all our peoples, and in a very special way, of, of course, to make the link between mental health and faith. That's so, so important for us, to be able, in the midst of all, to throw light on dark places and dark scenes for so many of us. Tonight, in a very special way, we address through our, our speaker tonight, and in a, a little while we will welcome Bernard and, and Billy. Before we do, may I invite my colleague, Reverend Stephen Foster, to come forward for us to tell us a little bit about Amok Lydia. Thank you, Stephen. Good evening, and uh, thank you, uh, Paul. Um, so, uh, myself and, and Brendan, uh, and maybe others that are, are online, are involved with uh, Amok Lydia, uh, Out and with God, um, and uh, we exist uh, for the encouragement for LGBT plus Christians uh, and people, a safe space for LGBT plus people to explore faith uh, or for allies to, to connect and be a part of uh, just uh, encouraging uh, a, a good uh, space uh, for uh, uh, the exercise of, of faith without worrying about um, uh, any issues at all. So, um, so Mokhladea, I suppose there's a group in, in Dublin that meets once a month, uh, and in Mokhladea West, we have a, a Zoom meeting uh, on the fourth Sunday evening of each month, um, and then we encourage little local meetups uh, where we can. And so th this Sunday evening, uh, we're, or sorry, next Sunday coming uh, evening, uh, we're uh, online on our Zoom meeting, and uh, with Anne-Marie Nugent from Clock Jordan, who's speaking about uh, her uh, books, 
that she's written and also Tegan, who uh, looks after Mocklady in Dublin, will, will, will be speaking at it. Uh, and it'll be a sort of joint Oscailaga uh, English uh, meeting, uh, sort of, so we'll be bilingual on Sunday evening. Um, uh, and uh, and so it's it's a good space. So if if a Mokladia can be of help or encouragement, we we're just delighted to be able to to, to be that. So thank you. In one's uh, lifetime, and over the the last three decades or or more, it's not often that one. Um, encounters one's heroes. For example, Father Peter McVerry in Dublin. Uh, I'm thinking of Stephen Foster that you've just heard. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Uh, I'm thinking of people that we know who are significant in our, our lives. And tonight, in a very special way, may I welcome Father Bernard Lynch into our midst. I followed uh, personally, Bernard's career throughout my my own life and journey, and as it continues, and always seems to move in new horizons. But in a, a very special way, uh, Bernard, we want to extend a hundred thousand welcomes to you and Billy, sincerely from all of us uh, here to Killaloo in County Clare, particularly your own biography is well known by all who are here. Um, it is distributed and it has been, I suppose, within social media as well as the, the, the printed media. But particularly, I'd like to just focus on this, that in 2017, Bernard received a proclamation from New York City Council honouring his more than 40 years of service to the LGBT and AIDS communities in the city in New York. And in 2019, he was awarded the Presidential Distinguished Service Award for the Irish Abroad by the President of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins. Bernard, although stepping back from all leadership positions, continues his advocacy for justice through working with CAB, the Mayor of London's Advisory Board, and support for those in ministry and outside of ministry. The world is his church and his closet. Bernard, tonight I hope you enable I and all of us and all who will hear this recording, who will hear it live on the webcams, for us to encounter the living Christ who is here in the bits and pieces of our lives, who is alive and well, and asks us to be the best. And you are always at your best. Thank you. Welcome to Killaloo, Bernard, and over to you. Let us pause just for a moment and place ourselves in the presence of God, however we understand God, the presence of that infinite love from which we come, in which we live and move and have our being, and to which we shall all return. 
spirituality and sexuality are one. Thank you, first and foremost, Father Paul, for the invitation to speak in this wonderful cathedral where so many of our ancestors worshipped and prayed. Here, too, they learned how to do love and justice. It is indeed holy ground on which we stand. During the AIDS pandemic in New York, many parents were torn between love of their church and love of their children. They presumed that their church could never be wrong. I can best illustrate this by quoting the following letter written to me by a young man from his deathbed to be given to his father. Dear Dad, since you never phone me and hang up when I call you, there is no other way for me to say goodbye. When my lover died of AIDS, you never expressed any sorrow or compassion. You always treated Dennis like a non-person. That hurt me very much, but nothing can ever compare to the rejection and hurt I felt when you found out I had AIDS and you threw me out of your house. I was sick and your response was to discard me. You never approved of having a gay son. You told me you follow the teachings of the church and the Bible. All I ever knew was I loved Dennis. Dennis loved me. When he died, part of me died with him. It has been very rough living with AIDS these past three years. Now I know I am dying for sure and I am ready to go. I want to be with Dennis and with God, who is love. He is the father who did not desert me. I am sure mom will be waiting for me too. My brother Kevin has been a true friend. I know he doesn't understand much about being gay, but he has been there for me, and he has even lied and told me that you asked about me. You always knew where I was, so you could have seen me. You were afraid of what the neighbors would think if they knew I was gay or had AIDS. 
you put him before your own son. Kevin tried to defend you, but he knew that you were wrong. Dad, I am going to a place of peace. I believe God is going to welcome me in ways you never did. I have no choice but to forgive you. I just wonder if you are ever going to be able to forgive yourself. I still love you, your gay son, Stephen. In New York City in the early 80s, AIDS hit us like a tsunami. Young men in their 20s and 30s dropping like flies. 600 of Dignity to New York, to which I was priest and theological consultant, died from HIV AIDS. As they suffered the most ignominious of deaths, I went to City Hall and testified publicly for the passage of Intra 2 to protect LGBT plus people against discrimination in jobs and housing. As a result of my advocacy, I faced 15 years in jail on trumped up charges by my own church who in collusion with the FBI tried to destroy me and those who worked for change. After a trial that lasted a year in court and a cost of $100,000 to my religious order, Societas Missionas et Afros, for my defense, Eventually, my vindication and innocence was declared. These dialectics of the abuse of power by church and state have been foundational in my search for meaning and in what I live for over the past 50 years. Yet despite and indeed because of those horrors, my faith in a God of unconditional love and justice has grown stronger, giving me, quote, a knowledge that surpasses knowledge at a level, something to live for, great enough to die for. As the Lakota Sioux Indians say, when God gives a burden, God also gives a gift. HIV AIDS was primarily first named in the Western Hemisphere amongst gay men. As churches, synagogues, and funeral homes closed their doors, Camus' plague became reality.
In working with this much misunderstood and hated minority, I found that sexual integrity and spiritual enlightenment were and are the most profound freedoms achieved by people living and dying in this darkest of winters. This gift for all people, straight and gay, has wrapped itself around my very soul. Like all servant ministry, we receive from those we try to minister to far, far more than we can ever give. It is the slave, Padrig Nefa, Ospel Neheran, that always sets the masters free. Instead of the lie told by my church, and I quote Cardinal Ratzinger, AIDS was the natural result of unnatural acts. Contrarily, I discovered and came to know that my brothers and sisters contacted HIV AIDS in trying to experience affirmation and acceptance. To know even just for a moment some kind of sensual touch and love. In the words of the great English poet W.H. Auden, we have had the experience. Let us not miss the meaning. I try here with you to outline the glorious Catholicity of human life. The truth that everyone and everything in our wonderful universe is connected. Here, sexuality and spirituality form one brilliant world. They are not isolated into two separate existences semen and blood, holy mass, HIV and God are all part of a greater whole. The human communion and the holy communion are one. Therefore, the first paradigm I want to present to you is this. Either our sexualities are a way of enabling or ennobling our humanity, or they are not. Our sexuality takes us closer to God, our true self, or it alienates us from God, for any self-alienation is God-alienation. Now some people imagine that as a priest, my AIDS ministry, during the height of the pandemic, 
was praying, bringing Holy Communion, giving the last rites to the sick and dying. This, in fact, is only partially true. I spent more time changing diapers, clearing up the crap and urine of my brothers, and trying to feed them than praying or administering the sacraments. Here, if you want, I found God beyond God. Hospital orderlies and nurses were so afraid of catching AIDS that our brothers often went for days on end without any food. Many, in fact, died of starvation. The human authenticity and the religious authenticity became one. It is not what we say about God that matters, but rather it is who we are in God and how we believe and how that belief expresses itself. This keeping vigil at young men's deathbeds, when I was in fact more nurse than priest, more friend than pastor, reduced me personally to a helplessness and vulnerability that was and remains a land beyond tears. My own life and my own meaning are forever bound with these young men. For in the army of lovers, only the wounded may serve. Surely, the big question for all of us is how to be human. As we know, to be born is to be human, but it is also to become human. A woman or a man becomes what they are open to. Becoming ourselves in all the fullness of our personhood, psychologically, emotionally, sexually, intellectually, and spiritually is the mark of personal existentialist meaning. I reiterate, any self-alienation is God-alienation. Anyone or anything that would hurt or destroy that self which others and we are created to be, image of God, is not of God. Anyone or anything, on the other hand, that enables and empowers the true self to come into being must be 
of God. Now, the mind wants a God that the heart understands. But if the heart understood God, the mind would reject it and give the heart a heart attack. But as Martin Luther tells us, God is for the heart. If your heart is right, your God is right. If your heart is wrong, your God is wrong. For sexual minorities, more often than not, the order of the heart is usually reversed. For everything from birth tells them that their lives are either disordered or unnatural at best or at worst. They should not exist. Thankfully, in this great country of ours, that has changed and continues to change. And there is still a lot of work to be done. For all people to be human, as you well know, is to be in relationship. In relationship, we find the raison d'etre of our existence. Love and relationship are what most people live for. Our sexualities, as I understand it, is the seat of our relationality. Here, as I have already said, we find the apotheosis for our love of God, our love of our children, our love of mass, art, music, theatre, farming, as indeed the person we choose to make bodily love to. As Martin Buber, the Jewish theologian, tells us, to be in God is to be in relationship. Spirituality is where our humanity finds its truest home and is the essence of all living things. This is my second paradigm. Spirituality is at the very heart of all human intimacy and relationship. In their genesis, I believe, spirituality and sexuality are one. They are the alpha point from which we live and move and have our being. The same source of the one river that is split and divides at birth or very soon afterwards. To my knowledge, this is a socio-cultural phenomenon, particularly encouraged and endorsed by organized religion. Hence, the experience of most people 
that they cannot be sexual and spiritual. Thomas Merton, the American mystic, says, we are already one in our spiritualities and sexualities. Their separateness is an illusion. Saint John of the Cross, the Spanish mystic, says, here on the mountaintop, there are no laws, no trodden paths. We find the path by walking it. Saint Teresa of Avila, another Spanish mystic, engaged in mystical eroticism in her meditations on the Song of Songs. Yet we live in a world that is not only erotophobic and homophobic, but godphobic. A world where sexuality and spirituality are seen as not only split, but in continuous and consistent conflict. HIV AIDS ministry, together with my over 50 years as a psychotherapist, has taught me that sexuality and spirituality are the same pure water of the uncreated life of God in us. There is one source, one energy, one desire. Sexuality lived in love and freedom is not a distraction from the spiritual. The deeper we go into our sexualities, the more we understand our spirituality. Though this is part of the Catholic mystical tradition, coming out in the churches for thousands of, of LGBT people and straight people has unfortunately meant coming out of the churches coming out of the closet, a process the church should be enabling and ennobling, is a process which must be experienced more often than not in the secular world, rather than what passes for Christian community. It is inexcusable for those LGBT plus Christians and clergy who choose not to come out in the church because they want to stay in that church for the wrong reasons. The institutional church has meant to them more than just a closet. That church is an empty tomb full of dead people's bones. We know well the love of God cannot be taught to people or preached to them. The only way to give you and I the experience of being ourselves equal 
dignified and graced is to treat us with dignity and be graceful to us. As everyone knows, we learn to love not by being told to love, but by being loved. The sun, as scripture says, may indeed rise on the evil and the good, and the same rain refresh the just and the unjust, but the lesson will be lost on me unless somebody loves me. I pray the day when the universal church, together with all world religions, will lead the way to freedom in love for all people, believers and non-believers alike. Thank you very much. And uh, Stephen and Ed and Marjorie might assist there with the questions if anybody has a, a, a question t uh, tonight. Uh, uh, Bernard, one, one thing I just want to, uh, that I'm so conscious of, are people tonight in varying circumstances who are helpless and feeling very vulnerable, who are in a dark place or who have the weight and severity of the cross upon them and who feel crucified because of various things, what could you say to them? And particularly, I suppose I want to focus upon uh, people tonight in the LGBT plus community, those who are, I suppose, making choices and deciding and looking for, to be brave, as so many people here are, are brave, and I desperately want them to hear that they have safety under the umbrella of church. Um, and of course, that can be debated in, in various ways. But I suppose the main thing tonight, Bernard, if you could just talk to people for a few months who are helpless and vulnerable. Thank you, Paul. It's interesting because at the end of my talk, I have um, a note that I didn't intend, but your question goes right to the heart of this note. It's only one note, and it addresses your question. I say in this note, this is one moment, but I know another shall pierce me with a sudden painful joy. I have what I call a hopeless hope. Linear narratives no longer make sense. We are children of the universe. We are naked like Lear on the heath, not cursing fate, but wanting to embrace it. And to you listening to me and those on Zoom or whatever, I would say a heap 
of broken images is my soul. And you who are broken or breaking, you are among them. Hope is the oxygen of justice. Without hope, we die. Despair is the work of the devil, is the worst state. And when we are in despair, we are not in God, although God is in us. So those tonight who are struggling for the light, all I can say to you is, please do not give up hope. I myself would have gone over the cliffs of Moher a long time ago without my hope. I say my hope in God rather than my faith in God. My hope in love, call it love, call it life, call it freedom. But hang on to it no matter how difficult, no matter how painful. Hang on in there. If you know someone who is in that space, touch them with a word, with a gesture, so that they can get the next step. Sometimes we can only make it the next step. And we only get enough light to take the next step. But we are only expected to take that step for which light has been given. No more. And that is enough. If you take that step, you will find the step after it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably reluctant to speak because you articulate the things you've articulated has just been so powerful and beautiful. Um, and I think in particular with what you say about spirituality and sexuality uh, and Church. 
be of hope for the church to uh, come to a, a whole better world. Yes, I do have hope for the church, churches, universal church. I mean, um, very much so. I mean, I remain a Catholic, small c. <laughs> um, you know that saying in the gospel, the stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. Well, we who are a sexual minority, we are the stone rejected by the builders. But once we, you know, have our Tarsinian, the Tarsus experience of conversion, once we realize that this is the greatest gift God has given us, then we don't go to the church looking for. We go to the church to give to. We as sexual minority, and I say this especially to women, straight and gay, you are the ones who convert the church continuously to Christ. And it's a different approach. Instead of looking to my church, what my church can and the churches institutionally are coming around. As you can see, even with Rome at present and the present Pope, there is a change. That would never have happened, only for you. That would never have happened, only for you. We have, we have to be the teachers like we had to parent our parents in teaching them how to love us. We are the only minority born into families that do not know how to love us. You know, they love us for who we are and hate us for, you know, for who we are not and hate us for who we are. Not, not intentionally but to be born into a straight world. I often wonder when I'm doing interviews, do straight people with all due respects have any idea of how privileged they are, how straight the world is? We had to protest and risk our lives to get to march in St. Patrick's Day Parade. We were battered with beer cans and rosary beads. We had a 200 police armed escort in New York City. We had to beg to get into our own church to, to hear mass. Nothing to do with sex. Do straight people have any idea? Like we as white people, do we have any idea what it's like to be black? We don't. I don't. So I think it is vital that we understand the reverse privilege of being born outside the pale and therefore being enabled, ennobled, and empowered to be compassionate. 
and to be non-judgmental. I mean, it's not me who's saying, judge not. <laughs> and yet, you know, we were always judged by the church. And, and, and we were always reduced by the churches to genitality. Real abuse. Genitality. What's that to do with being sexual? That much. What's that to do with being human? That much. But that's what we were reduced to. But we have changed that by seeking marriage, by seeking civil unions, by seeking blessings. We have said we're only interested in love. And yes, for many people, love has a genital expression, which is wonderful. But we were completely, as it were, that's all we were interested in. And of course, in many of cases, like people become what you teach them to be. But there are, thankfully, as a result of the LGBT movement and the support of our straight friends, and particularly the contribution of women, that must never, Manana Heron particularly, what women have suffered on this island is unforgivable. What was the first thing we were called as boys? Sissies, like women. Women's freedom was and is our freedom. Women's ordination was and is our ordination. We cannot, nor should we ever forget that it is the feminine in us men that has been most rejected by the church. That's a zinger. <laughs> um, you get an A for the question, whatever about the answer I give. Um, 
Well, the Ireland I grew up in, I wouldn't want anyone. I mean, the amount of women and men in the Ireland I grew up in who were sexually different and different otherwise, who went over the cliffs of Mohor, God only knows. So what has happened here, and I've, I'm out of the country 50 years or more, is wonderful. Can only be of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not sure because like Ireland, as I see it, as an outsider, an inside-outsider, is going through a major adolescence. Exciting. What will it grow into? I don't know. And I probably won't live long enough to find out. But I make a complete lacuna between faith and religion. To my mind, Ireland will never lose faith. I mean, we're a pagan people. Even, you know, during the terrible days of persecution, we still had our holy wells, our blessed mother, our saints, our rosary beads, our holy water. God is a natural for us. And I remember at the beginning of my AIDS ministry, when my own church, the Catholic Church, was coming out with all these diktats that we were disordered in our nature, evil in our love, that AIDS was the natural result, kicking us out of the churches as they did every Catholic Church. We now still in the United States only worship in non-Catholic churches. I'm as, I'm as more at home here than I am in a Catholic Church because this has been my home from home for so long. I'm sad about that, but it is true. I acknowledge it. Thank God for the Reformation. We'd still be in the dark ages without it. But there was a nun that I worked with, Sister Patrice Murphy, a daughter of charity. And I was going through real depression, trying to remain a priest, trying to outreach to my care for people with AIDS. And she said to me, Bernard, you will have to transcend the church in order to find God. And maybe that's what a lot of the Irish people are doing. I believe, and this is in a whole other lecture, Father Paul, if you want to invite me back in a year's time, all religion is about the denial of God, including my own. All religion. Religion is man-made. I have no doubt about that, in my own opinion. God will judge us and all religions. So to, to have a woman or man talk about God, spirit, the Blessed Mother, St. Patrick, whatever they want, whatever spiritual, the universe. That's the invitation. That's, that's God trying to break through to us. And we as Irish people, I think, and this is my Irish love prejudice, we will never be without God.
we may be without religion. Atheism is unnatural to our people. I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just saying it's unnatural. We are natural theists. Monotheists or polytheists, but we are natural. And the church is being taught that. It doesn't have to teach us that. So the last piece there, I didn't get my hearing. What advice would you give to LGBT plus you, such as myself, today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, it's such a delight to see you here. <laughs> you are our future, and your very presence gives me hope. I'm on, I'm on the way out now. I don't know where I'm going out to, but to see someone like you, wonderful. Wonderful. I would say two things off the top of my head. Know your history. Know where you, we have come from. And the struggle it's been, and particularly as a woman, the struggle it's been for Irish women. I think that's very important. So that the mistakes are never, ever made again. Secondly, I would say to someone as young and beautiful as yourself, get involved. In whatever way you can. In, you know, whether it's, you know, helping out here at something or visiting the older. It doesn't have to be specifically LGBT, except that as LGBT, we can say that to the person we're visiting so that they know we are not one-issue people. You see, as you know, the Stonewall Revolution was a revolution. It was a human revolution. It was never about just us. It was about everybody. We were, when we were back in New York, I'm going back a bit, um, we used to visit prisoners. We used to visit the homeless. We used to take food to the... Um, hospices long before AIDS happened as as people trying to build our community because we had a new vision of what it was and the vision is as old as it is new it's it's the cry of Moses to Pharaoh set my people free it's an ancient cry and and freedom is the precious jewel to be free. And we are free today in Ireland in a way that your generation are particularly, thankfully, that generations before you never were. You know, to cherish that freedom and, and, and to, to spread it in whatever way is within your own limitations. That's all. Two things. Don't forget your history. Do what you can.
in whatever way to spread the good news. I'm hearing, I do, I, if I'm not, just interrupt me. Um, I am very worried when I look across the Atlantic. I am also an American citizen as well as being an Irish citizen. Um, and, you know, we say in County Clare, where Clare leads, Ireland follows. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> um, but, Unfortunately, the same it can be said about America. Um, America is in a very difficult, to use a neutral word, stage of its ex existence presently. And there is an awful lot of anti-LGBT, especially trans stuff. And trans stuff has become the stalking horse to batter all of us. Even here in Ireland, I understand the little I know. As if, you know, they were just waiting on the wings. I mean, I, I don't know how much in touch, but I mean, a Catholic right-wing organization in the state has just spent $4 million to track down priests who are gay so they can publicly out them. So, like the poor, our enemies, unfortunately, are always with us. And all we can do is stay true to who we are. And, you know, Christ said the truth will set you free. I think what he forgot to say is, it will also crucify you sometimes. But it is a crucifixion that inevitably leads to resurrection. As I said earlier, that um, it's very difficult to define what happiness is. Because happiness, you know, will not submit to any definition or any clinging. It is freedom is more important than happiness.
Freedom is the precious stone to be free. To be free above all to imagine. To imagine the impossible. If somebody told me when I was walking along the Lehenge beach as a little boy, wanting to hold another boy's hand, as I did back at the age of 10, I was born that way, um, and I, I couldn't because I would be removed to Our Lady's Hospital in Ennis if I did that. But if people said to me, someday you will walk Lehenge Beach catching, holding the hand of your husband, I would have freaked out. But so we start by imagining our own freedom. Then we take, again, little steps to realize it, not simply for ourselves, but for others, because the freedom of others is our own freedom, as you well know. Sorry. Um, I'm also in America, um, and I despair at things that are going on there. But um, as a 70-something American who was very radical in my youth with marches and protests for black rights, do you not think that in addition to holding on to our faith and our hope that we also have to make any moves as a collective for all marginalized people, LGBTs, uh, women, uh, the poor, uh, people of other color, mm. in terms of making legislation happen that prevents discrimination, that allows freedoms, um, because there's not enough of them, and certainly in the states, not enough states that promote them. I, I mean, every week or so, someone sends me a, a, an article about a bakery that won't provide a wedding cake for a gay couple. Mm. And, and that's legal in certain states. Mm. I mean, small, those are small steps, but I think those are the things that will lead to the big steps that really will guarantee freedom for us all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, the, the reverse, as you probably know from your own reading, if you find people who are, say, racist, they're usually homophobic, usually anti-Semitic, usually, usually. And the converse, quote-unquote, should also be true. If we are for gay liberation, we are for black freedom, we are for women's rights, we are for the poor, we are for Palestinian rights. I mean, whatever you want to name in terms of, as we would say in biblical terminology, the anamweem of Yahweh. That's really where we belong. We belong with the marginalized. No matter who those marginalized, we, we, we can never afford to belong to the majority. We don't want to be unless that majority is in fact the minority. We, you know, we, ha we have, as a result of our giftedness in being queer, I'm using that word deliberately, we have an obligation in faith, in Christ, 
to belong to the poor in every sense of the word, to identify with the poor in every sense of the word. That is our Christian. And we have been very blessed as Christian to be given that cross because it is so recognizable. It is not something that we have to kind of imagine. We know how difficult it is to grow up gay, lesbian, LGBTQI, trans, whatever. So let that be the litmus test of our belongingness to Christ. Let that be the most holy communion God has given us. That's the cornerstone rejected that has now become the very bastion of our lives. And that is true, I would say that to any minority, however you define minority. I mean, how women have used their own oppression to be such a, a gift to men, if only men would recognize it. I mean, I'm not a patriarch, as you may well gather at all. Um, I want a whole other paradigm rather than patriarchal heterosexuality um, that is far more egalitarian and totally co about co-equality. But there's only so much we can do, which you're absolutely right. Wherever there is a call and a cause of freedom, and particularly I would like to say racial justice. I mean, we know what it is like to be a minority sexually, but a black man or woman cannot hide. We could hide. We could get away with posing as straight. Non-white so-called minorities, even though they are the majority, in fact, cannot hide. And especially you mentioned the states. And also here, um, there is still racial injustice. Of A huge kind. Are there movements in the states, like MLK had for the black movement? There, there is, there are, and we did have. The problem we had was that with, say, black people, and I'm going back to my own time there and visiting on and off sense, they have such injustice visited on them just through their color that coming out as gay or lesbian can be a double whammy. So they don't always mar with us, the so-called white majority. We're neither. We're white, but not a majority. And therefore, it is very difficult to galvanize that community into a, say, a gay movement. That's why, unfortunately, insofar as my reading allows me to say this, most of the movement, not all of it, but most of it is led and said by white middle class. It's changing. And as you know, Stonewall itself, there were a lot of non-white, mostly trans, 
who fought for our freedom. And we are the only successful revolution in the history of civilization that I know of that never fired a bullet, never took up a sword. That's our origin. The, the, the weapons these people had were stilettos and handbags. Those are our four sisters and four brothers. We have something, that's something to be really proud of. Ours was a revolution in love and for love. And it has succeeded. Not everywhere, but it has succeeded. Time is on the side of love. Don't ever give up. Time is on the side of love. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, and for all who share this with us, next Tuesday, the 28th of March, we are very lucky to have in our midst Tom Flynn of the St. Vincent de Paul, the drop-in centre in Limerick. Just a, a note, Tom was appointed chaplain to the Irish in New York from 1995 to 2022, and was instrumental in opening the Ashling and Community Centre in Yonkers in 1997. He has worked uh, as manager of the Vincent de Paul Drop-In Centre uh, from 2002 to 2003. Tom is beginning to wind down his, his work there, and it goes on where they have over, in Limerick in itself, over 200 every day who seek help and support. And Tom gives an insight very much to the work from a different perspective of mandatum. Tonight, everybody, for those who are here amongst us physically, may I invite you on behalf of Dr. Marjorie, Reverend Stephen, and myself and our colleagues indeed to the Lakeside Hotel to be able to join uh, Bernard and Billy uh, and all of us indeed for some very, very light reflex, uh, refreshments. Uh, it'd be great to see everybody coming up for for a, a, a while, it'd be most, most welcome. But Bernard, tonight, very especially to say thank you to you and, and Billy for being with us. The line that you said, the quote at the beginning, God is the father who did not desert me. And education in the faith is what mine matters via the Church of Ireland is all about. And our own Bishop, Bishop Michael Burroughs, great friend indeed of, of Amakladea, of all of us, is, is a, a light too that shines in the midst of, of all of us in education, educaria, learning from something old to something new. And like me, so many others within the institution and within the church are learning, slowly, but we're learning, that God does not desert me or us, no matter what. And that's the mandatum, the command. Bernard, I suppose, for all of us, we want to say thank you. 
Uh, Stephen made a great connection at the, the very beginning for you and the importance of you being here this evening. Bernard, I, I wonder for us in this time of Lent and the journey, heading towards the apex and kernel of our faith of Easter, would you say a prayer of blessing and a prayer for us to conclude the evening, please? Thank you again, Father Paul, and thank you, Stephen, and everybody. O God who loves us more than a mother does her favored son, or a father does his favored daughter, or a lover the beloved. You in whom we live and move and have our being. You who do not know how not to love us. We thank you for all we are. For all you are in us. And for all we can and will become. Not just now but in eternity. And as tonight we remembered those who died prematurely, according to our world, from AIDS, we pray them that their spirit, their Holy Spirits, and all who have gone before us will surround us and touch us and protect us and lead us and guide us and strengthen us in determination to do your will, to do your justice on earth as it is in heaven. Through Christ, our lover and Lord, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much. <laughs>